What's up, guys? Welcome to Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 18. We have a very special guest today, political cartoonist and satirist extraordinaire, George Alexopoulos. I'm Dan. I'm Brantley. And welcome to the show, George. Yeah, man. Nice Thank to have you. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate this. No problem. Thanks for the invite. Totally. So um, we were curious, uh, basically, just, you know, we like to ask people, you know, just a little bit about like their personal lives. You know, like, how did you get your start into cartoons? Uh, you know, did you go? Is this something you went to college for, uh, et cetera? All right. Yeah, it's hard to know how far back to rewind. Um, you know, I've always wanted to do comics. Uh, I did go to art school for a year and then I dropped out because it wasn't for me. Where'd you go? Uh, school of Visual Arts in New York City. Okay. Oh, my sister graduated yeah. from there. It's a good school. Oh, it it's just, uh, it, you know, between the cost and stuff, and it just... Yeah, it's crazy I went for, expensive. It is, and of yeah. course, I had to commute because I, live I lived in Jersey at yeah. the time. I, I had to commute from also... Jersey boy right here. Queens. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, from Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I know where that is. I'll yeah, have to yeah. ask you about that later. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, so I lived in Queens, too, for a little bit, but the commute was brutal. Uh, I couldn't study. I couldn't make friends at school over there. It's, and part of really the whole purpose of art school is to make friends because really you can yeah. teach yourself. So realizing I could teach myself everything I wanted to study, I decided to drop out. And uh, and then I uh, got some work with a company called Tokyo Papa a couple of years later. Um, and then they went out of business, unfortunately. There was the big crash of 08. Uh, financial stuff. So anyway, I've been in and out of comics uh, publishing for a long time, and then I've been self-publishing since 08, 09, something like that. And uh, yeah, I've been in and out of little circles here and there, but I didn't really uh, take off until the past couple of years, I guess, I was doing socio-political stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, on that note, when did you start drawing? Is this something uh, you've been doing since you were a kid, or is this something you picked up later on in life? Uh, since I was a kid, you know, a lot of us in my classes, I grew up with a lot of kids who just loved drawing and, uh, you know, we draw Sonic and Mario and yeah. Super Nintendo stuff. And, How'd you so, Dragon you know, Ball Z? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we loved all that stuff. So I was drawing and doodling like, like all the other kids, but I guess by middle school, I started drawing, uh, like a, a longer strip, uh, where... I would just, instead of doing homework, I would draw pages and pages of comics. And I guess <laughs> I kept doing it, but my peers moved on to other things like sports and whatnot. So eventually by high school, I realized, oh, I could specialize in this. Because I, I guess by high school, everyone's off doing their things that they like the most. Yeah. So since I spent most of my time drawing anyway, I was like, oh, I'd like to make video games. I'd like to animate. I want to make comics. And then by the time I was graduating, it's like, oh, I have to pick a career. Well, I may as well do this one thing that I do all the time anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't really take it seriously until my late teens. Uh, and then yeah. uh, when did you when did you realize that it was politics that would uh, be a sort of focus for, for your art? Uh, you know, I still haven't decided that. Yeah. Um, I'm in my mid-30s, but I've been drawing since, you know, forever. And... Uh, I only started really doing socio-political stuff for the past couple of years. So even though that's the most popular stuff, the stuff that I seem to be known for, I still have two regular uh, book series that I'm doing on the side, let's say. So I spend most of my time, let's say, prioritizing, let's say, in the week. I have to draw X number of strips, which are the, is the stuff that you're probably 
uh, most uh, that I'm most known yeah. for. Yeah, but my actual book books are what I do. Uh, that's my bread and butter, let's say career-wise. But that may switch. I may switch my priorities around depending on. Uh, I mean, if the majority of my audience just wants strips from me then it would seem that that's what I should prioritize. So it was, it was something you sort of just fell into, like you didn't even expect that you would draw a political cartoon and then this would just blow up and become the thing that, you know, would launch your career or put you more in, I guess, the, the public consciousness. Well, I did them for fun, Yeah, you know? So I would have a small audience here and there. I mean, I drew four panel strips for a long time, many years. Uh, I actually used to post on Reddit a lot and, uh, once Reddit decided they don't want me around, I was like, okay, well, screw you guys. You got canceled by Reddit? I sure did. Oh, dear. Uh, oh, it's a long story, yeah. but uh, I basically, uh, they they became aware of me too quickly, and they didn't know my background, whatever they decided my background was, uh, which was all made up, of course, and then they ran me off the website. So I had oh. to rebuild my presence on Twitter and stuff like that. That's nuts. But I was, I was drawing four-panel satirical stuff anyway for a long time. Uh, it's just something I did on the side. But as that became more and more popular, I was like, oh, I can just keep making more of these. And then, you know, there's an audience feedback thing going on. Oh, please make more of these. And I say, oh, okay, I'll make more. And then the numbers keep going up, and I say, oh, okay, it seems that this is what people want from me right now. So yeah. that may change someday, but well, that's you're, okay. you're definitely filling a niche, I think. there. I think there was a space available for you that you didn't even realize, and, you know, you kind of ended up in it, and then, like you said, the audience feedback kind of gives you that information that you need to realize, okay, I'm doing, I'm doing something right, clearly, or I'm touching a nerve, or, or this is resonating with people. Yeah, career-wise, it's something that it's kind of like being in a boat and there's a wind blowing. It's like, do I keep paddling against the wind, going in the direction that I want to go, or do I let this wind kind of tell me where? It, I mean, let's say I really want to do my books, but only I only have a few hundred readers, whereas the other thing I have tens of thousands. It's like I could force the other thing, but. It, I mean, one has to ask themselves, what is a career? You know, yeah. maybe I, if somebody wants to be a dentist because that's their job, uh, okay, you do your dentist thing and on the side you can, you know, play jazz or something if that's your passion. Yeah. That's not to say I don't like doing my political strips, um, but if that's what the majority of my audience wants from me, I think it would be silly to ignore that. It makes sense. I, I think it's a delicate balance that most artists probably deal with, you know, like, when when is it to a point where say you're not being true to yourself and your craft and you're just sort of trying to please the audience so i i could see why that might be sure you know i a, mean a difficult thing to deal with one of the biggest lines of course is you never want to ask like am i pandering yeah uh, all of the strips that i draw are it's something that i would want to read but mm -hmm. nobody has made it as far as i know so i make it so that i can read it and it just so happens that other people want to read it too so, I mean, would you say that you kind of make these for yourself more than anything to laugh? Uh, I think it's fair because, like, I'll think of a strip. Uh, there was one I did earlier this week with uh, a ship of... Uh, I'm looking at that one, yeah. Yeah, I, pulled, okay. I had your Instagram pulled up. Welcome to America's first all-inclusive Navy vessel, the USS yeah. Clam Bank. Starboard <laughs> to right and straight into a morning, y'all. <laughs> Right. And the joke is that there's this brick wall in the yeah. middle of the ocean. 
and of all the things that you know you could steer any direction yeah. and you'll miss it but they still hit it right um so when i thought of that i was in bed i woke up and i don't know like these ideas just pop in your head if it makes me laugh which it did it made me like in that monty python what's a brick wall doing in the middle of the ocean that's hilarious yeah so i was ready to piss myself laughing and yeah. like okay i'm just i'm just gonna draw that because it's funny um, so a lot of the times yeah i figure by the time i'm done showering whatever in the morning have my breakfast if i have an idea that makes me laugh or an idea that doesn't necessarily make me laugh but emotionally uh, resonant like uh there was a cheesy one where i had a statue of liberty little kid running up to donald like I had a bad dream. Uncle Joe was coming to get me or something. <laughs> I think I remember that one. Yeah. I remember that. And one. it's, it's really cheesy, but then also I'm like, you know, you know, it's kind of, there's a certain sweetness to it. So yeah, I'll draw it. Forget it. It's this one, Brian. It's right there. Yeah. 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 yeah so it, he, has, he has the Statue of Liberty on his lap. That's funny. There's a certain, you know, like, uh, the old, uh, Charlie Brown ishness, like, I don't know. I have this old uh, 1950s-ish uh, romanticism of the, the sweet comics of the newspapers where you just, you can laugh at a comic or you can just go, aw, <laughs> you know? True, true. So I'm okay with that too. Uh, so yeah, I think I draw them primarily for my enjoyment. I, I, I am aware of the readers as well. I do worry, like, I don't want to make something that everyone will hate all the time. Sure. But uh, so yeah, it's a balance, whatever. But you have gotten a lot of hate for these as well, right? Uh, it's hard to know because are they responding emotionally? Uh, is it something that they just? Because it's hard to know. Like there's there's feedback I could get that's constructive, like, "Hey, you keep drawing the same punchline over and over." They could say, and then I'll say, "Okay, am I doing that intentionally, or am I just?" running a joke into the ground. That's constructive. That's useful feedback. I'll say, okay, I'll dial it back on that punchline unless I do it on purpose. Um, but if they're mad because I struck a nerve, um, you know, I can't control other people's emotions kind of thing yeah. where it's like, what are they really trying to say? Are they trying to say, I don't want you to draw comics anymore because they're too effective or, or you're, you're lying and you're making me feel bad. Um, you know, if they're not my audience anyway, I'm not sure what I can do for them. Like if I make really bad cheeseburgers at my burger shop, <laughs> you know, I would assume that they just don't come to my burger shop anymore. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, if they hate my stuff, it's like my, my response really is what can I do for you? Um, and if they want to just yell at me and be, uh, impolite, I guess the best thing I can do is just leave it alone. Yeah. I guess. Well, like you said, you, you can't control other people's emotions. You can't, you know, no. control their thoughts, their responses to these things. All you can do is, you know, be true and make sure the, you know, the art that you're putting out is honest. And, yeah. you know, you, you take the responses as, as they come. But with the SJWs and, and the woke culture, I think what it comes down to with that is they're looking for things to cancel. They're, they're looking for things, you know. So there really is no pleasing those types of people, no matter what. Like there's yeah. already people complaining online about the new Dune movie that it doesn't have enough, you know, people of color and, and, and stuff. And it's just like, they'll, they'll cancel anything. They'll cancel their own mothers if they're not woke enough. Well, I suppose <laughs> what they're doing is an, an ancient circuit in the human yeah. brain. It's something that 
caused the old witch hunts or yeah absolutely there's an episode of hardcore history if you ever heard of that one uh, uh, i have amazing podcast where i think there was some kind of thing going on in germany where uh, a certain sect a religious sect took over a city and then it was it was sealed shut from the outside where if you were in the city when the sect took took over you're basically stuck there and there was this crazy siege happening or something it was something like they would like burn people at the stake and torture them Yee. and uh and everyone in the town would watch like it was entertainment and i think there's something in our minds there's a modern day thing where i guess we can't go see gladiator fights and we can't burn people at the stake yeah, but... lyn lynchings too were a similar sure. phenomenon yeah i think technology has grown so fast that we think somehow we've outgrown this I don't know if I want to use the word evolution or something, but there's something ancient in our heads. There's a certain bloodlust of, yeah, let's get them. Yeah. I am afraid of this person. I'm going to go get them before they can get me. And even better if we can do it in a crowd, because then I can do things to that person and I'll get away with it. Yeah. Uh, that's a very justified because when it's in a crowd, you know, they, they feel more validated in, in what they're doing. Right. I personally will not be held responsible for my actions because everyone in the crowd's doing it. I'm caught up in the moment, the, yep. uh, the, the psychosis. There's like yeah. this group psychology thing that happens where... We saw that with BLM and the riots, and we also saw it at the Capitol too, a similar sort of mob mentality. And it's, it's very easy for people to kind of suspend their individuality in, in those circumstances, and then they get dragged along with the mob. There's a certain ecstasy that happens, I think. It's, I call it the Grand Falloon. It's, grand it's like, falloon. like if you just imagine a, a mass, a sphere of flesh uh, rolling down the street like a Katamari. Uh, <laughs> I think you got to draw that now. <laughs> i guess i should that's yeah. a pretty good image yeah but what happens is that oh i'll join that group uh i would love to just i mean this is i don't mean to get too dark too fast you poor guys no, uh, but, no get dark man. get dark this is dangerous but, rhetoric get dangerous with it okay i do i do think there's a certain circuit in the human brain that if i could get away with doing all the darkest things i could possibly imagine I, I think it's over 50% of people would do it. Um, and I we're agree. talking about like Jungian, the shadow, the, yeah, the, the archetypes. Yeah. Right. Like I, if I could do the darkest thing I could possibly think of and nobody would catch me. Like if you listen to old podcasts of not old, but like of in the old days, a guy would have like a hotel where he would rent it to people and just murder people and they would never be found and say that they he killed like 50 people this way and eventually people would, like detectives would realize oh wait there's an awful lot of people going missing in this building for some reason and then they investigate it and it's like oh he's been killing people for 20 years um and so i think modern technology again has made us i think realize how how dark the human psyche can get when it thinks that it can get away with things. Oh yeah, just read YouTube comments or Twitter. Sure, uh, people- <laughs> makes it very clear. Because when they have anonymity, uh, people can say all kinds of things that, uh, I mean, anyone who spends time on the internet anyway, surfing around, and if you can kind of uh, feel the, the average, uh, you could call it the zeitgeist or something. That's like cool. say there were a lot of zombie movies 10 years ago, 
And now we're seeing like after the COVID response, what happened after all the zombie, the zombie movies and shows were telling us something about ourselves. Mm -hmm. What happens if there's a pandemic and then a pandemic happened and then all these people are like, oh shit, it's zombie time. I don't mean to curse. Is cursing okay? No, no yeah, it's fine. It's, we're not even monetized yet. So. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, people were, it's almost like they wanted the zombie apocalypse because now I'm a law of my own and I get to have, I mean, if you read The Walking Dead, I guess. I played the game, but I didn't read the yeah. series. I haven't, I haven't read it. I've watched most of it. Okay. Yeah. The, the games were good, but the, the basic idea, I guess, one of the theses of the series was what happens when there's no law except yeah. power. Well, the the title too um, basically refers to the living people. You know, they say the Walking Dead, and you know, we think the yeah. zombies, but what it's actually referring to is the people who are still alive in that circumstance, and sure. how the circumstances change them, and then the the crazy decisions and choices that those people have to make now. Yeah. So, like it, yeah, earlier in the, the show too there was definitely more of a focus on the zombies and then as the seasons went on you realize they focused less and less on the zombies and more and more on the, the problems and crazy decisions between the characters the human interactions yeah the human yeah like what really happens when uh there is no law except us yeah. and then what happens when corrupt people come to power because usually that's what happens is i want to feel safe so i'm going to gravitate towards the loudest person in the room yeah. negan <laughs> Right. Yeah. And there's a certain magnetism to the Negan or the cult or, of personality or yeah. Ledger's Joker, for yep. instance, people are repulsed and attracted at the same time to That's people a good like point. that. Very scary. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I think they're, like you said, there's something in us that's dark that realizes we have the potential to get to that point. And honestly, I think the, the best people, the most good people realize that about themselves and keep that in check. Yeah, it's the Carl Jung thing, I guess. I'm not an expert on it, yeah. but not only acknowledging you have a shadow, but also partnering with it, keeping it on a leash to say, like, I'm not going to let you make my decisions, but I'm also not going to pretend that you don't exist because then it'll surprise you out of nowhere yeah. someday. Yeah. Totally. For I'm sorry. No, I was agreeing with you. Uh, it, yeah. It's something that uh, I think we see a lot, uh, especially on Twitter. You see people kind of like manifesting their most base uh, selves just because they have anonymity or they feel, you know, they're, they're in a group that has a sort of like uh, similar opinion of as themselves. And so they can just push it and push it. Yep. Or God forbid you're rewarded for acting out. And then that only makes it more likely that you'll do it again and harder. Because yeah, you're chasing that high. It's, it's uh, what do you call it? Dopamine high. Yeah. Getting likes and follows, that's oh, a yeah. huge, that's a huge uh, drug. Yeah. And then when it becomes the motivation for what you do, then it's just like your morals and ethics could go out the window. And then next thing you know, people are doing the craziest things for those likes. <laughs> next thing you know, yeah. you're drawing comics yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always, I'm always thinking about that. Yeah. But um Again, like my measuring tool is, is this something I would have drawn if nobody was watching? Uh, so, that's, that's yeah. a good point, man. You know, is, is this something, like you said, is this something that makes me laugh? You know, am I being Is this something honest? I would want to yeah. read? Like, would I read this? Would I, would I chuckle at this? Yeah. I think that's a good measuring stick. Um, I kind of wanted to ask you about Mary Sue, because I've seen... Like sure. little snippets here and there. Uh, I, I tried finding like more information, and I think you you had an Indiegogo campaign, right? And then it's it's mm -hmm. closed now. 
Uh, there are two. The first one was closed. The second one's open. Uh, if anyone wants to read like the digital editions, I have them on my Etsy shop, actually. Oh, cool. Uh, that's the cheapest way to read it. Um, uh, yeah, th the current Indiegogo is kind of... I'm not going to do Indiegogo anymore. So if anyone wants to read it, I would say just hang on for a few more months and then I'll have it uh, on Etsy if you want the physical edition or the digital. Can you uh, give us just it. like a little summary about like what it's about? Sure. Uh, it's, let's see, I have, I've written it down a bunch of times. It's about a quote, derpy exosuit pilot who it's, she's a contractor and she causes more problems than she solves. Uh, so she's got this suit that's got a million modifications on it and she travels around in her ship and she's a contractor. So she takes jobs from clients, uh, and uh, yeah, she's really clumsy. A little bit of Sailor Moon. Uh, I like the if you've ever seen Trigun. I love the... Trigun. Okay, love so there's enemies. a little bit of Vash the Stampede in there nice, where nice. she arrives in town and it's like, oh god, please don't help us. You're just going to destroy everything. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a mixture of a million different anime that I love. Nice. Like Bubblegum Crisis. She has different suits that she puts on nice. for different situations and she always picks the wrong suit. Always picks the wrong uh, suit, that's great. Yeah, so th the joke, it's kind of a comedy action thing going uh, where she herself is this very vulnerable, clumsy character uh, who kind of has no business having the most powerful suit in the world, but she does. Is, would you say, is there a sort of like Samus influence there too? Of, well, yeah. of course, but, and then the Samus is influenced by a million different things yeah. of like, anytime you see an exosuit, um, she doesn't have like a cannon for an arm, for instance. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see, man, you know, I could go down a list yeah. of all my favorite anime and games and there's probably a little bit of something in there. Like she has a mentor named Dr. Masaka, who's kind of like a, got a master Roshi thing going. Nice. Or he, he's like a super pervert. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and there's just a million little references. <laughs> so I'm putting all my favorite things about anime into this happy little series that I wish I had more time to draw. Uh, sounds awesome, man. I'm definitely interested in it. And I'm all about physical copies. So I'm definitely gonna okay. get a physical copy. Um, I was gonna ask, have, have you considered taking your comic strips, your political strips and accumulating <laughs> them maybe into like a collected works of some sort? Ah, I actually have. Uh, it, they're called shit posts. Uh, it's a <laughs> collection. Nice. Of, uh, yeah, I print them individually as uh, as issues, not volumes, excuse okay. me. Um, but I, since I print all my books from home, I'm actually looking for a solution. Uh, you have a printer at home? home? Yeah, I actually, uh, I worked as a print shop guy uh, for several years, so I know how to print and make books and stuff. Nice, because I self-publish, but I've done everything through like Amazon over the past okay. few years. I write poetry, so I put about five okay. books out that way. But man, I wish I had my own like printing machine to just run them off the press myself. Well, it's very easy, actually. Someday, if I have more time, I'll do tutorials. I have a couple awesome. of bad tutorials on my YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, I print all my stuff from home for now, but it eats up way too much of my time. Yeah. So after this summer's finished, I have a few things I have to do. Uh, when I have more free time, I'm going to look into uh, print places where I could do like, I don't know, 500 to 1,000 books at a time. So you're doing everything yourself. You don't have anyone helping you, working with you? For now, sometimes I have like family members help out with like sorting books and packing. Like the Indiegogo for the next Mary Sue campaign, I have to ship like fifteen hundred books. Jesus and Christ! <laughs> it's it's such a nightmare. Yeah, like it sounds I, a nightmare. I, 
I'm really honored to do the work, but when I realize how many books I have to ship, I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah, it is work, and you got to sign all of them too, pack them all, and then bring them to the post office, and it's it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, it's I'm grateful to have work. Yeah, <laughs> I'll clarify, but yeah, there's there's things that only I can do, like drawing new uh, books, and then there's things that I could delegate to like a print, uh, proper print yeah. place. Well, I think it's important too to make those, you know, to distinguish that too. Because, you know, yeah. you want to free up as much of your time as you can to focus on just producing more. And Correct. The other Two stuff, years ago, yeah, I had more time. but The other stuff eats up a lot of that time. So, I mean, man, I wish I had someone to just run social media for me and to do all of that. And I can just paint and write and not have to worry about any of the promo stuff, any of the, you know, sales yeah. and marketing and all of that. I don't know. Maybe we're also... I could hire someone. Who knows? <laughs> Well, we're in a place yeah. where the individual creator is sort of, uh, you, back in the day, you would have distributors, uh, retailers. Lots of middlemen. Yeah. And presumably they would be bringing business to you, but then mm -hmm. they would expect you to promote your own stuff. Yeah. And then you would ask, because I've worked with publishers and I, I don't have a grudge against them, but it's like, what am I actually working with you for if I'm doing all the work anyway? Um, so I had to ask myself a few hard questions and ironically, like when I was younger and trying to get my debuts going and trying to jump between publishers, none of them would want to work with me. So it's like with the art school thing, it's like, wait, so why am I actually partnering with people who are going to make me do most of the work anyway? And they're taking the biggest cut. Yeah. So, so they're paying me as if I'm working for them. It's like, no, how about you bring something to the table for me and then maybe I'll partner with you. That's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. Not to be harsh, but I don't, I don't like the business side of art. Like when business people step ahead, it's like, uh, if you imagine a chariot or something, it's like, who's the horse and who's the person who's the cart. Yeah. Right. So I don't like the idea of publishers thinking they're hot stuff. Uh, if you know the story of walking dead, for instance, with image, I do not. Of, okay. Uh, long story short is that walking dead was initially not uh, expected to be popular at all in fact they wanted That's to crazy. cancel it wow yeah i mean and, just um, like harry potter i think of all the publishers who passed that one up you exactly know, if you look up a few themselves. documentaries like i'm not a huge fan of walking dead like i mm -hmm. mentioned but the story behind it is really interesting how uh they were I think the original pitch was like, oh, we don't want just another zombie book. There needs to be a hook. So then Robert Kirkman's like, oh, well, uh, secretly there's actually, it's an alien invasion. Hmm. Um, it's about aliens. And then around issue three, they're like, so where are the aliens? And he's like, oh, I just lied. I wanted you. <laughs> it's, it's definitely about zombies. I was bullshit. Right. You guys. <laughs> but, but by then more and more sales were coming yeah. in. So they're like, oh, we'll they keep the series yeah. going. Right. right. He had the same problem with Invincible, actually. Interesting. Uh, where there was... If you're familiar with the missable, the, the Didn't big read it, watched it though. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the, the surprise that happens uh, yeah. with, with the dad. Oh yes. yeah. You can totally spoil it. I, I, I was, <laughs> I really didn't like that Amazon series. Um, okay. I liked I a lot of aspects of it, but the woke stuff that they inserted into it was very obvious. Okay. Yeah. Well, spoilers for anyone listening, but like, it turns out the bad guy is the dad yeah. and, uh, and he, yeah, anyway, so. Uh, but that was originally in the comic series, and it was like way down the line, like issue 50, they okay. were planning to do it. But the publisher at Image at the time was like, oh, we can't keep this series going. We're going to have to cancel it. You have to bring that surprise in way sooner. 
Hmm. Um, so what happened? I said long story short, and I'm talking too much. No, it's fine, no, no. man. You're here to talk Go for it. All right. Uh, so Robert Kirkman uh, had two of his biggest series, uh, where the publisher, who was named Jim Valentino, uh, yeah, he was going to cancel both series at, at different points. Uh, but eventually, Kirkman's series became some of the most popular stuff, including Walking Dead. Walking Dead saved Image Comics, I would argue. Uh, enough so that they brought him in as a partner at Image. So now he's in the pure, the, he's at the highest level at Image as one of the original founders. Wow. So he's up there with McFarlane and all those guys. That's crazy. So he started being hired by them, right? Correct. And well, not hired, but he was publishing Walking Dead publishing with, with them. And now he works with them. Interesting. Yeah, he is as high as you can get in this company. Yeah. Um, I don't remember how I ended up bringing that up, but <laughs> we were talking about publishers yeah, and, oh, I got rejected yeah, by yeah. every publisher and all that stuff. I think that's normal, man. I think I think most of the great artists throughout time got overlooked and overlooked and overlooked until finally someone took a chance on them, you know? it's Especially, yeah, especially artists who do something different. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you know, it takes, sometimes it takes someone in like a higher position to recognize that brilliance, you know, and you might get rejected a million times before that ever happens, so. Um, I can certainly testify that's what happened to me. Yeah. I mean, if anyone looks at my career, I, I'm still in the middle of it. Maybe I'll reflect in however many years if I make it that far. Um, we think you will. We think you will. Well, who knows? You know, I could get into a car accident or something. Don't say that, George. <laughs> we don't want that. The no, you know why I right say now. I like saying things like that? Uh, it's my Greek background. Lights we always say, if you're, what do we say? If you're laughing at lunchtime, you're going to be crying by dinner time. <laughs> so I never celebrate anything. Uh, I always say the most negative thing, like break a leg and all that stuff. <laughs> Because you can only go up from there. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> right. So if, if anyone, I have this thing, I had a fight with some people where I was at 10,000 people on Twitter or something. And I, I jokingly said, hashtag nobody artist club. And I was like, yeah, I'm one of you guys. And then some people got mad at me. Like, how dare you pretend like you're a nobody? And I'm like, no, I actually do feel like a nobody. I am a nobody. And uh, before... I was I was starting out on Twitter two years ago, two and a half years ago. I had had an account forever at like 200 followers or something. So in my mind, I'm still at 200 followers. Hmm. It's just a freak occurrence that I happen to have more than that. But I'm working as if I have that 200 because I had already made volumes and volumes of work at that point. It just so happens that people are now noticing. But if I get uh, if I get nerfed back down to zero again, it, I'm just back where I was two years ago. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think it's I think it's not good to focus too much on the numbers and to be motivated by the amount of followers. I think it'll just taint your work. You know, the money, yeah. the attention, and stuff. That's not the point. Any any true artist understands that they're making the work for something <laughs> beyond that. And if you're true when you make the work, the money and the attention just comes naturally. But I think if you put that as your first motivation. People can tell. I think they can. Most people can tell the inauthenticity of that. There's things like uh, ego that happen. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of good creators, solid, start to think that they're hot stuff, and then it begins this weird decline. I don't know how to describe it because it's the same curve with everybody. Like if you look at what happened, for instance, if graph-wise, look at what happened to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. 
Um, if you follow, okay, it's climbing, it's climbing. Oh man, Bitcoin's so high right now. It's going to go even higher. And then it plateaus and it starts dipping and then it plateaus again and then it crashes. And I see this pattern with people who get too popular too fast. Uh, but then you look at stock stuff. I'm not an expert, but you look at the stocks that are steadily climbing at, a, you know, maybe a 45 degree angle, steady growth, steady growth. Those are the ones that tend to be more stable. Um, I think when people get too famous too fast, they start thinking that they're more than human, that they're, that they're not, I don't know. It goes to their head. I think it's yeah. a big problem too when you're young, if you're like a kid and you get famous too fast, like. Yeah, because then you don't have, you haven't seen it happen to yeah. other people. And then, yeah, that must be it. And it's like, I think a lot of them too just don't have the mental and emotional maturity to even deal with that. So I, I would never have wanted to be famous as a kid or a teenager. So It's kind of a curse. Yeah. Uh, you would have to have people and who would, who would be able to do this? People to guide you through that, like mentors, maybe, yeah. right? Like, oh, uh, you're a child star. You have like girls throwing themselves at you because they think you're so hot. Uh, maybe don't date all of them. Uh, maybe that's not good for the human soul yeah, or something. Maybe you shouldn't try all those drugs. Maybe you shouldn't go to all those parties. <laughs> right? Like you're you're burning your candle really hard. Yeah. Uh, you're going to end up in rehab afterwards. And I mean, it's, it's a, yeah. but some people, you know, they, they do come into this world and they do these amazing things really fast and they burn out like a fireball. Like I'm a big Bruce Lee fan. He's a good example of that. Sure. Sure. You know, they work their ass off, they work their ass off and, and fame was a big motivator for him. So like, sure. He loved martial arts. He loved acting and that was important, but he definitely wanted to be famous and, yeah. And he pushed himself and pushed himself and probably died of heat stroke because of it. So, yeah, it could have been a whole bunch of things, yeah. but yeah, it, what happens is if you, if you look at his interviews near his death, mm -hmm. he certainly was riding high on yeah. the, uh, he knew he was hot stuff yeah. and he was, he but really he, was. He, what's crazy is that it, his goal that he wanted to achieve was achieved right after he died. So, you know, he wanted to become the biggest Asian, you know, star in Hollywood and yeah. he did, but it's, it's, his story is so sad because it was after he died that he achieved that, that goal that he, that he saw after. Uh, I guess it's the case of, it's that myth of flying too close to the sun. Yes, absolutely. So I actually get scared when I get too popular, when people, I mean, there's a verse, Bible yeah. verse of, uh, I'm not religious anymore, but, um, Beware when, when, when men speak too well of you, because that's how they regarded the false prophets. Mm. So it's like, if you tell people things that they want to hear uh, too much, then they're going to want you around all the time because you're basically feeding their subconscious or something like that. If I get praised too much, my alarms start going off, actually. And you're like, I'm, I'm not pissing anyone off. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> well, yeah, because I think in my in my daily life, like I do piss people off because I observe something that's true, mm -hmm. but they don't want to hear it. Or yep. that happens to me, too, where they say something that's true about me. Like some of my family is like, oh, you're you're getting pretty heavy. And I look down. I'm like, damn it. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> so who am I really mad at? Am I mad at me or am I mad at them for saying it? Yeah. That's something I've uh, I've even heard Tim kind of mention on Timcast. We're we're fans of Tim. We watched the show. We saw you on there. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and the uh, one of the things that he's talked about recently is that he's kind of glad that they sort of fly under the radar, you know. And, and what he meant by that is just that he doesn't seem to get a lot of mainstream negative attention, and it sort of keeps, I guess, YouTube from squashing his channel. Yeah, that's how. I guess that's how in the old days. I don't know how old you guys are. I'm, 30, uh, I'm 38. Okay, so MTV, uh, Adult Swim, the early Adult Swim. That was fairly under the radar in that it didn't have mainstream appeal. It's true. It was, it was obscure enough that the cool people were watching it, but then when they started to get a little too, uh, a little too much money and their budgets started going up and too much attention, uh, MTV. I guess what late nineties by two thousand definitely it was, it was way too uh, bloated, I would say. Yeah, it became less and less uh, about music. And more and more about reality TV. They also did like cool, weird cartoons. Yeah. Obscure, like Aeon Flux and stuff. Like Aeon Flux was cool. Yeah. Risky content. Right. Yeah. Right. Weird and out there and oh, I just doing thought of fresh. Celebrity Deathmatch. <laughs> yeah. I haven't thought of that in years. Because what happens is if you're flying too high, you don't want to take risks anymore. You want yeah. to maximize your profits. Uh, I don't know let's say the real world was doing so well and they started focusing on just that stuff. And then that's what the whole channel becomes and it yeah. stops being cool. So it's, it's probably good what Tim was saying, like what he wants to do. I don't even know what he wants to do with his <laughs> empire, but like he's got his show and he's yeah. building his website and maybe he wants to do what MTV did before it, it took the wrong right turn. Um, but he's, he's then in danger I don't know if he can uh, navigate that ship, um, but I, I hope I hope he can navigate it because it, whatever this pop culture underground culture thing is, it needs to be handled with a certain degree of irreverency and caution at the same time. Uh, well you said. don't, yeah. I, I don't know what that looks like. I'm not a businessman. I don't want to be, but uh, I know. I know when something stops being cool. I can just I can feel it. Like Star Wars is the famous example. Uh, I would argue. I'm, when not, it, I'm not even going to touch that right now. <laughs> I if I insulted you, I apologize. No, I, no, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm okay. agreeing with you. We've been talking recently about how dirty they did Han Solo, so dirty, and just kind of sure. like wasted the opportunity to give him Such a good a death. death. And Luke too. Luke yeah, too. Luke too. Yeah. I mean, and uh, they screwed it up. I don't like, know. It's but that's what happens yeah. when people who have, like Disney, is not a creative company. No. For they haven't been for a very long no. time, and I think all of the times they were creative might have been flukes, and then the business people became too involved, and then it corrupted whatever. They, yeah. Like Pixar was not, Pixar was not part of Disney when they were doing their best films. Right. They then they got bought. And then they started their slow decline, I would argue. Yeah. Oh, uh, Disney. You poison everything, Disney. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Disney attitude. So Tim should continue on his uh, path, I guess. Not that I would have any yeah. idea what to do in his situation. But I think you're just cautioning. You know, you got to be careful that you don't end up like one of these big conglomerates that were all of the heart gets you know pushed no. out of it and then it just becomes you know a machine to push out products and you know not you know that we hate capitalism or anything and we're fine with products and stuff but there's certainly um you know there's certainly a heartlessness about it sometimes where it just becomes about profit and it's no longer about the message it's no longer yeah. about you know um, risk yeah risk 
you have to be willing to piss off your audience true very true and like i understand if my, people read my stuff and uh sometimes i draw a strip that really pisses them off like the people who like my stuff but if i'm not willing to take that risk then i may as well quit because uh, if i'm only pumping out safe stuff that's like for instance i know I, ha I have a lot of conservatives who like my stuff and religious people mm -hmm. so if i only draw like america yay uh a boy i love the heartland and all that shit yeah. like i can do that but then i'm not taking risks anymore and i'm pandering and i'm not being real and then eventually like sometimes i draw like a, a sexy comic or something with you know the punchline is somebody's butt shows or you know someone in a bra or something yeah and then the conservative Christian types are like, oh, no, you're that's degenerate. Don't draw that. Yeah. And I have to be willing to say, go fuck yourself. Yeah, I'm going to draw whatever with, the hell I want. With respect, I will draw whatever I please. Yeah. And I think eventually, like, okay, they might get mad at the moment. They might unfollow me. But I think that's being real. Yeah. And I eventually that will lead to respect. I think it's more important to to hold on to your principles than to let these people, you know, allow you to discard them and then control what it is you want you want to say or do simply, you know, to again keep followers, get likes, right. etc. You never want to tell people what they want to hear. You have to try to tell the truth. Yeah, but sometimes you can't see yeah. the truth. Like today, for example, uh, I feel like I'm talking too much. I'm no, sorry. dude, we yeah. want it. We want it. Talk, man. <clears throat> uh, this morning I'm like, "Oh, I have to draw a strip." And usually I try to get it out by nine, ten o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I want to draw a strip. I'm late. I haven't drawn one in a couple of days. I feel bad. I want to make people happy. But then I'm, I have a couple of ideas. And then I'm like, do I rush it to get it out in time? Or do I just kind of leave the fishing line in the water and just kind of sit back in my boat? Because I knew I was talking to you guys at 10. I'm yeah. like, do I rush this? Or do I just let it breathe? And... I could try to push it to please the audience, to remind them that I exist. But then who am I really serving? Am I serving that, that dopamine kick? Do I want the kick of like people responding to something I made? Or am I just going to kind of, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, exactly. to, you know, to focus on what you're actually making and to make sure that it's good, that it's top quality. I think a lot of artists struggle with this. You know, I know when I go through days where I don't work on, say, my painting or don't work on the things that I knew I was supposed to work on, I mean, we feel bad. We feel guilty. Like, we're we're not keeping up, you know? Yeah, I guess it's the same as, say, you have a martial art. We're talking about Bruce Lee. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're not practicing every day, keeping sharp. Yeah. Um, I guess as we get older, you just pick a thing to specialize in and you want to be the best you can at it. But you also got to, I guess what I meant is you got to know when it's okay to rest, when it's okay oh. to allow yourself to say, I'm going to let this breathe. I'm not going to yeah. force something out just because I, I, I feel like people are going to forget about me if I don't, you know, because that's probably it. Yeah. It'll, it'll kill the message. I think it, it'll, it'll kill your motivation to even do it. If it just becomes about the likes. Yeah, maybe that's what you say, Bruce Lee. Like again, yeah. he, if he died of heat stroke or something like that, I think he, he would, <laughs> he yeah he would push himself i remember documentaries yeah. he would push himself until he was sick yep um and maybe he was chasing the dragon uh <laughs> that's a very good joke actually that's a great joke <laughs> he was chasing the dragon of uh that high of people acknowledging that i exist because that's another deep thing psychologically yeah. of humans is we 
it's like if the, if the world doesn't tell me that I exist, do I exist? Well, part and, of it too was in, in Hollywood at the time. You know, it's just if you were Asian, you couldn't get lead roles, and and I'm sure people like him very much felt overlooked. So I, I could oh, un sure. I could understand why he pushed himself to the point that he did, and yeah. wanted to be seen, wanted to be validated, and and like I said, he, he achieved his goal. It's just sad that uh that it happened after he died because he pushed himself so hard. Yeah, it, there's there's a time to it's like with farming, I guess. If you farm soil too hard, all the nutrients go out. Yeah, you have to let the field go fallow for a while. It's true. Or for instance, for me, Crop like rotation also, you got to change yeah, things exactly. up. You can't keep planting the same thing in the same ground all the time. Something you got to change it up. You know. Yeah. So like for instance, if I uh, am feeling stale art wise and I'm drawing too many strips, sometimes I'll take a break from strips and then I'll go back to my series that only sells, I don't know, uh, 50 copies, let's say, that nobody wants to read, but it's my favorite thing that I'm working on. So I'll just work on that for a little while or I'll watch a movie, go to the museum, I have to recharge, go for a walk, go for a drive. Um, that's part of, I consider that work. It is. It, yeah. Yeah. Because it, as it's, artists, you have to draw inspiration from things. So it's like just yeah. going for a walk or looking out the window. Artists are working typically, and people don't even realize it, that our heads are working and we're, we're true. coming up with ideas and we're trying to find inspiration. And... It's funny with inspiration too, because it's sort of like putting your antenna up mm -hmm. and whether or not you get a signal, you can't control that. But unless you have your antenna up, you're not going to get a signal get either way. Yeah, it's a good point. So if I go to the museum and I feel nothing, um, it's usually because I'm like not, my, my heart's not open, to put it in a cheesy way. Um, I, I, you've, I've got to respond to something. If I'm not responding, then maybe my, my head's not in the right place. Maybe I'm just tired. Listen, another thing too about inspiration is, you know, like you said earlier, you're like, do I rush this? Or do I just let it breathe? And that's not an easy thing to figure out either because you can't always just rely on inspiration. And I think if artists are just waiting for that inspiration to come, yeah. you might not succeed. There are times when you actually do have to sit down when you're not feeling inspired. Actually, you might be totally uninspired and you still have to force yourself to get something done. Yeah. And that's, that's a difficult thing to do, you know? It's part of the discipline, I guess, as yeah. we get older, we'll know our own rhythms. Like I do my best work in the morning mm -hmm. and in the evening. Afternoons, I don't know if it's biological. I, I can't work in the afternoon. I hate it. Yeah. That's when I usually rest. Andrew Huberman actually has this really good podcast. He's a neuroscientist out of Stanford. And I was just listening to him yesterday after seeing him on Rogan. And mm -hmm. he has this whole sort of like daily routine that he goes over. And he talks about why neuroscientifically you have these ways that you can optimize your output. And he generally works in two, he has like two 90 minute periods a day uh, that he sort of really pumps out his, his work, his primary, you know, his very like cognitively intense work. And the yeah. rest of that time he sort of spends optimizing, um, you know, his neurochemistry so that those two windows are the most efficient and most productive as they can be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess to ask you about uh, censorship a little bit, just because I know you said you were kicked off of Reddit. Um, sure. uh, my favorite cartoon, the first thing that I noticed from you, 
yes. was this uh, this cartoon you did, uh, <laughs> the uh, impropriety of the Archduke's son. Hark, the Archduke's <laughs> son had brought great shame upon us. I mean, this line, it was just so apt. It really caught the the essence of Facebook and yeah. Twitter basically squashing the story mm. of the, the Hunter Biden laptop fiasco and all the content that was found there. Yeah. Um, have you had experience in being censored on like other platforms, like on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter? Have you been like, you know, have you like, gotten the temp ban? We saw your sticky notes recently that say the thing that we're not allowed, like you're not allowed to, say to say on YouTube. On YouTube. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, surprisingly, uh, I have not been dinged for that. Cool. But part of that joke is that I'm finding it all over the house. So it's like, hey, it's not me. Someone is. Someone's it's putting not, these here. And, <laughs> yeah, and if I'm interrogated, no. I did not write those notes. I did not write those notes, sir. They're everywhere I go. When I go to the store, I find sticky notes. I don't know who's following me and putting them there, but they want me to know something. <laughs> yeah, so, no, I haven't been dinged for that amazingly. Um, but uh, there was one time on Instagram where I drew a certain dictator who, uh, uh, apparently you can't show any images of him at all. Hmm. Uh, a certain painter, Austrian painter, ah, who, uh -huh. you know, and I'm a painter. I, I also paint, so therefore I am probably one of them. Ah. I'm told. That's a joke. So <laughs> you can't. So I redrew that strip as stick figures. Um, but I, yeah, I, I got censored on that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But yeah, the big one was the Reddit story that you mentioned, where. Um, one strip I drew, I've told the story a bunch of times, I'm sorry if anyone's heard it. Uh, I drew a series of strips that became increasingly popular until one of them hit the number one spot of all time on r slash comics. And then it, because it became too popular, some people went over to my Twitter and they found that I follow like conservatives and libertarians. Uh oh, and God forbid. So what ended weird. up happening was the classic story of the Reddit brigade uh, following me around the entire website. Uh, downvoting everything I say, like any any time I reasonably try to defend my positions or sound like a normal moderate person, which I am, or at least I think I am. Yeah, we're moderates too. I mean, I'm probably a little more moderate conservative. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably more a little moderate, more moderate liberal. liberal, but yeah. I mean, it's I I would figure. I mean, I took uh, one of those political compass tests the other day, and it told me I was further left than I thought I was, which I, I just, Same. I disagree with it. Yeah. I think it's biased. But anyway, I'm basically like just slightly south of center. Okay. Uh, but that's pretty much where I'm comfortable. But because yeah. things have shifted so far left, I call myself conservative because there are certain things that I just don't want to move on. Yeah, you but want anyway. to conserve, which is all that really means. Right. You know. I am happy with where culture was when I was growing up. There were imperfections, like say 90s. Mm -hmm. I would not mind leaving it the way it was at that time with a few minor modifications. We agree. We were like, man, back then, like you didn't have to force all this diversity crap. It was yeah. just there. I grew up on Hey Arnold, you know, like. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Th that's a really uh, deep topic, I guess, of yeah. where but anyway, so the Reddit people were coming after me everywhere. They were destroying my reputation. I had no other fallbacks at the time. Like I had nowhere else to go uh, to, because I had gotten too popular too quick. I, I had no other mm. audience. Um, so anyway, they ran me off the site. The scariest part of that was when the moderators were actually trying to dox me. Wow, wow. that's scary. And they, because they have access to your account stuff right so, so they, they know they your browsing history stuff? yeah 
Wow. So they, they knew all kinds of things like what device I was using and they, oh, they actually crap. posted, they posted that shit. That's disgusting. Jesus. And then I can't prove this in court, but somebody contacted me saying like, Hey, we're, I'm with the moderators and we're all talking behind the scenes of how we're going to get this guy. You're not a conservative, are you? And I, at the time I was like, no, I didn't like Trump. I didn't hate him. I was just like, whatever. Yeah. So I'm like, no, I'm not really politically whatever. I don't care about politics at the moment. Um, so anyway, he's like, all right, good. But then I posted something that was pro-conservative and he's like, oh, you betrayed me uh, and all that shit. But listen, I, I can't talk about this without getting too angry. But, yeah. the, but the truth was, I think they were, who knows? Like if you use Reddit, who knows what kind of shit they know about you? Right. It's and they're all international, so there's no law. They're not American. They're not even North America. Mm. Any of these people, the moderators and admins, they're in other fucking countries. So, if they want to mess your life up based on your whatever, I don't know. They know your IP address. Who knows? Reddit what activity, know. yeah. Right, like I don't know. I don't think I did anything stupid on Reddit. What was the comic that they tried to cancel you for? The joke was there's this. Uh, have you heard of Shenanigansen? No. Uh, nope. he does the he did a famous bicycle strip where he got his bike stolen uh long story short was that uh, a bunch of people were teasing him about that because his punchline was my bike got stolen but i'm sure the person who stole it needed it more than i do so whatever right and then a bunch of people made fun of him for that whatever and so my joke was uh because i was getting all these upvotes for no reason on stupid strips that were throwaway strips. Uh, Reddit was now putting me up. They were saying, hey, come be our new king. And then I turn and see the throne and it's a shenanigans with all these spears through him. <laughs> and, and they upvoted that strip because I was telling them, you guys are a, a mob that will destroy creators on the drop of at the drop of a hat. And then the next strip I did after that, I had already drawn it was them lighting me on fire because because <laughs> i was sitting on the throne and that was this is number four this is the one that made them turn on me and they're like okay make us laugh basically and so one panel was me staring at them sweating and then i was gonna throw the joke like it was either gonna be subscribed to pewdiepie like <laughs> that that was at the time right or i did the hand circle game if you've ever heard of that no where three of the Put the, the circle in the hand oh, down and right. then you make them look people hit you in the nuts. Gotcha, right. And gotcha. you get, yeah, you get a punch for that, right. but they interpreted that as the okay hand symbol. Ah, I see. So after that, that was the end. It's a dog they whistle. Said, we caught he, you, George. Correct. And because he follows like fucking Steven Crowder and stuff on Twitter, he must be one of them. And it's a, you know, so it was all downhill from there. Unbelievable. Absurd. Well, but um, you know, and that just made it clear, like, okay, you know what? You want to fuck with my career? I am now going to devote my career to, I don't want to say it too much. Too much New Jersey's yeah. coming out. So, oh, but, I, but I love it, man. Fuck I you. Yeah. Fuck you, people. Right. So exactly. I'm like, you know what? No, I real. love Trump. I want him to be my god. I, he's my emperor. <laughs> Trump is my favorite guy in the whole world. And actually, I don't give a fuck. But no, Trump is the best. <laughs> so fuck those guys. I'm sorry. I got to put that back in the jar. No, that's all but, good. but my, oh. No, I understand. It's frustrating. Look, I used to be a substitute teacher. Um, 
lockdowns changed all that stuff and i started speaking out against the lockdowns and speaking out against you know the stuff that i was seeing you know i had anonymous kids who clearly knew me at some point you know attacking my, my instagram with burner accounts sending me these horrible messages commenting on my posts i had to like block a whole lot of people and like these are people who like lived in my city and my community and i'm like some of them probably know where i live you know so it was it was it's not a fun thing to go through and it's happening even at smaller scales you know to like little people like me who aren't even that well known so it's it's crazy to see the divide happening in the country right now and just the radicals and the that's their the lengths they're willing to go to you know their their primary strategy is to frighten their opponents yeah. into inaction into silence and inaction yeah. right it's it's the the frog in the kettle problem yep. where you're just being frightened enough not enough to alarm you into acting but enough to just make you shy away oh it's getting hot i'm gonna back out so a lot of i know that we have the numbers there's sane people even in the center who are saying this is a witch hunt these are crazy yeah. people and it's a militant loud people. minority but nobody wants to be the person who stands out who will be threatened like oh what if they come to my house yeah well, I'll meet them in the front yard with a fucking machete is what I'm going to do. Yeah, I mean, the Jersey and me came out too, because when, when someone tries to silence me, it does the opposite of what they want. It makes me want to speak even more. Right. So I it guess me, and maybe it's it is why we started the show, you know, all they did was push us into this direction. So yeah. it backfired against them. Well, but. I think it'll take time, but I, I see conservatives, maybe they're in danger of overcorrecting in a few years, yeah. but... We'll see what happens with the elections. I think it'll be okay for a few years. But, you know, I think what you do is incredibly important, man. I think satire is such an important tool to fight against this stuff because it, it has the it has the capacity to cut straight to the point. It cuts right through the bullshit. And I think that's why it resonates with so many people. You know, mm -hmm. it's in the tradition of Rabelais. It's in the tradition of Jonathan Swift. It's, it's the same thing, except you're like the modern version of it. You know? Well, I've... <laughs> If you look at, like, uh, it's a chess game, let's say. Uh, what they're doing is inspiring their opponents, or debuffing their opponents into being, like, afraid of acting yeah. and afraid of fighting back. Because if you do fight back, you end up with a January 6th problem. Yes. Or you end up with a Kyle Rittenhouse problem. Yep. Where if you even fight back, they're waiting to jump on that and, and turn that into propaganda. Yeah. So you can't even defend yourself. So your options are so limited. And one of the options is humor. Because you can hide a message in a, in a strip where people are laughing, let's say, where it is silly, for instance, to have a WNBA player who's been working her whole life. She's like, I'm going to make my debut. And I've been, you know, I'm going to be a star. Thanks so much for your sacrifice, mom and dad. And then she gets out onto the court and it's just giant titans <laughs> with enormous cocks that waiting was, for her. That was a great comic strip. Right. Yeah, I like that. So yeah. I, you know, that is funny on the surface level. But then on the deeper level, it's like, no, I do feel bad for that woman because she's worked her whole life yeah. and she will, she has zero chance. She's, her career's over. There, yeah. there will never be a female Michael Jordan if or the Olympics or something like that. If they have to compete against enormous uh, competitors who have testosterone levels that are 50 million times more than theirs, so it, they can't, you know, I feel bad for them. Yeah. The, it also, you know, this sort of reminds me of theater too and what theater used to be and why it was so important. But, you know, 
<laughs> you could use a play to criticize the establishment or the king, and that was a way that you could get away with it. You know, look yeah. at Shakespeare's work, for example. So, again, like yeah. I said, I think satire, satire is like perhaps the most important tool we have to speak truth to power and to to reveal what's actually going on. And and you, you know, you do it in a way that kind of lightens lightens the message and makes it easier to digest for people. Spoonful of sugar helps the medicine yeah. go down. Yeah, unfortunately, because if you are way too direct and blunt, what happens is work. people, they just put their shields up. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what happens with the, the, the Marxist types and what happened with, uh, they, they knew to go through the colleges. They knew to go through entertainment. Uh, the, the syringe of, of politeness and being compassionate that's the syringe, but it's delivering the, the, the poison of ideologies that will just destroy the host. Yeah. I like so it's okay. to me as weaponized compassion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I understand, and that's the thing, it's post-religious compassion too. A lot of people are not necessarily religious anymore. They're not going to church as much as they used to, but they still have this, I want to be kind to people, kind of, I want to be active in the community and yeah. making the world a better place. And since they're not going to church, they still want a thing to fight for. Yeah. So, of course, I, I think the intentions are, are good for a lot of people. But, you know, as the old saying goes, the road to hell and all that paid with good intentions. It's like Brent just said, it is like a weaponized form of compassion where they think they're doing something good and not even realize that they're actually being manipulated. What? It, they don't want to accept yeah. that they're on the losing side. I can't possibly be on the losing side because, or no, uh, on the bad side. I'm not the bad guy, yeah. am I? I'm on the right <laughs> side of history. And I think if you're that certain you're on the right side of history, you're probably not on the right side of history. I think the people who are, are always in doubt, you know, the most intelligent, wise people I know are so full of doubt. And the stupid people are so certain of themselves. So, Well, that's why the scholars and the professors and the scientists, those were the ones that got and sent to the gulags yep, first. They were the first ones. Yeah. Well, George, uh, thank you well, so much. I wanted much. to ask him one more time before we... I okay, wanted to ask him one ahead. more thing before we Go call ahead. it up. So I, I saw this tarot card that you put on your page, and I, I like this a lot, actually. And you yeah. said you were going to complete this project. So I wanted to tell you that I hope you do complete this project because I will totally purchase this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I'm actually staring at it right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to do with it, uh, but I guess I could just make a book of them. Yeah, I like the style of it. And I, I just wanted to tell you that this is awesome. I think you should continue it. You know, Even though there's a million tarot decks out there, there's certainly a niche there. And... I'm interested in that sort of things. I collect them, but okay. I love it. You know, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, if you ever to. need a reading, Daniel can give you a tarot reading. <laughs> I mean, I dabble in that stuff. I don't even know how much I believe in it, but I've had weird experiences. But, dude, George, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us, and we'd love to have you on again. And we we hope your work gets more attention. We think the world needs this right now. You know. Oh, and shout out your socials too, where people yeah, can where find can people you? find you. Sure. I'm, I'm at gprime85 on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, that's where you can find most of my links, too. Uh, but anyway, uh, more importantly, thanks for your generosity. But uh, whatever this is, uh, I don't know what this is turning into. Uh, I just hope that we can bring more sanity to the world. Uh, I don't necessarily want to be like the tip of the spear or anything but uh, if i can help in my own little way that's cool i think it's a service what you do you might not see it that way but i think yeah. a lot of people do you know 
you know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and I don't want to get a big head about it. I don't want to think I'm important or anything. Um, but, uh, you know, well, if this is... You are important. We think you are. But I, I think, <laughs> I think uh, keeping humble about it is also, you know, it's required. It's, it's required, you know. The only thing that matters is that whatever is good about this keeps going and the bad stuff, uh, whatever. If I self-detonate because I think I'm hot stuff, who cares? We'll be here. We'll keep you in check. We'll make sure you're wrong, George. <laughs> sure. Well, maybe there should be other artists doing this too. Yeah. Uh, we'll yeah, see. I mean, I paint, and but my stuff's a little more serious and symbolic. I'll send you some pictures later. But Sure. I'd like to yeah. see that. But, dude, thank right, you guys. so much. Yeah, thank you Have so much, nice day. George. Get to work. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Later, I will. Bye-bye. You got it. Bye-bye.